Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking about skin grafts and tissue flaps. What are those anyway, and why would you need them? Well, it's truly fascinating what can be done. So I'll shed some light for you in this episode, telling you all you need to be in the know should you or a loved one require this type of treatment. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight, whether you are actually planning a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. You know, when you sit and think about it, we humans are wired for survival. Our bodies are so adaptable and come with parts, if you will, that can be repurposed to save or reconstruct other injured parts, or even those which never developed properly. Sometimes we have to borrow a little from one area to help another. If you think of the true spirit or meaning of the word plastic, coming from the Greek word plastikos and referencing changing the shape of something, we humans are plastic indeed. All it has taken is a little ingenuity and the growth of collective knowledge gained by generations over the years for us to figure out how to help ourselves by using resources we already have, our own tissues. Open wounds, whether from injury or created surgically or due to some other reason or disease, can often either be pulled together and stitched closed or heal on their own if small enough. But sometimes standard closure is not possible or feasible So that's when we start thinking about a skin graft or a tissue flap to do the trick. So let's dive right in with a couple of definitions to help orient you as we have our discussion today. We'll start with a phrase you've probably already heard out in the world by now, a skin graft. But what is it really? Let's break it down further and just define graft. A graft is tissue taken from one area of the body and placed in or on another area just as is without any special attention to including blood vessels or blood supply. It relies on what is called the recipient bed, which is the area that it is grafted into, in order to get enough nutrition to survive until it incorporates or heals in. When it heals in, it develops new little blood vessels which will bring it nutrition to survive in the future. It then becomes an integral part of that new body area. So, a skin graft is just what it sounds like. It's a sheet of skin that has been taken from a healthy area and placed onto a different area that is missing skin and in need. In contrast, a tissue flap, spelled F-L-A-P, is often a thicker segment of typically layered tissue, tissue meaning flesh, that is brought to a new area but includes its own means of blood supply. This means either the flap's blood vessels stay connected or tethered to where the flap came from when the flap is rotated in its new position, or alternatively, the flap's blood vessels are detached but then reconnected to new ones in the recipient bed. So to recap, at the simplest core of these definitions is the presence or absence of the relocated tissue's own blood supply. A graft doesn't travel with it, and a flap does. By the way, throughout this episode, I mentioned the word donor, which means where the tissue to be transferred comes from. And when I say recipient, it refers to the wound that receives the tissue, where it ends up. 
Okay, let's now talk about the various types of graphs and flaps and discuss where you might need to use each. The first recorded skin graphs were performed in India in 600 BC. But it wasn't until the 1800s and later that better advances in techniques started to be made and survival rates of the grafted skin increased. Also, there began a differentiation between what's called split thickness skin grafts and full thickness skin grafts. And they are just what they sound like. The split thickness graft is a shaving of skin, which is called partial thickness, and the area where it's taken from, or donor site, heals like a scrape or abrasion would. There are special devices available in the operating room, which will help the surgeon harvest a sheet of skin expediently and at a consistent thickness. The full thickness skin graft, however, harvests the full depth of skin from the donor region down to the fat layer, but not including fat. Interestingly, with a split thickness skin graft, there would still be some hair follicles left behind at the donor site typically because they happen to be deeper structures. It's the little skin cells that remain in the lining of these follicles that start to grow up and out and help this donor site develop new skin. Well, while this split thickness skin graft donor site or harvestite can heal with some scabbing and eventually grow new skin, a full thickness graft does not have any hair follicles left behind to help initiate healing and skin regrowth. Therefore, generally any time a full thickness skin graft is harvested, the resulting wound edges are pulled together and actually closed with sutures or stitches in order to get a faster healing of that donor site. This can be done because usually a full thickness donor site is much smaller than that for a split thickness graft, so it's easier to get closed. Both of these types of skin graft take a couple of weeks to heal in the new location where they have been placed. Now again, these segments of skin do not bring their own blood supply. So why don't they die in the meantime? Well, they are thin enough that they can actually get nutritional supply from the fluid in the open wound where they're placed. The nutrition wicks up into the graft and temporarily keeps it alive. That is until the body grows those new tiny blood vessels that connect the new skin to its new home permanently. So when would you use a skin graft? Well, probably the most common use that you've heard about is for burn wounds, where new skin covering is required and essential for the health of the burned area, and possibly for the survival of the patient if very large surface areas have been burned. Otherwise, without protective skin, the patient could succumb to dehydration and infection. Large sections or sheet grafts can be harvested from healthy, non-burned areas of the body and then placed onto the burn wounds after they've been properly cleaned. Of course, this would be done in the operating room under anesthesia. As split thickness skin grafts heal, they do tend to contract or shrink a little bit, and the grafted area may become smaller over time. This is one of the reasons that in some situations, full thickness skin grafts might be chosen rather than split thickness. If there is a small particular area of the body where you don't want the healing tissue to contract, say across a moving joint that you don't want to constrict from scar contracture, then a full thickness graft can be used as long as it's not too big. Remember, a full thickness graft has to be small enough that the donor site wound or where the graft was taken from can be pulled together and closed with stitches. Though certainly several segments of full thickness grafts can be placed together where necessary and stitched together almost like a quilt. Of course, skin grafts are not just for burns. They can help other wounds which may be acute, meaning new, or chronic, meaning they've been around for a while, like maybe from a skin ulcer. And a surgical wound, such as after a skin cancer removal, might need a skin graft when there is not enough skin left to close up adequately. 
But there are cases where a simple skin graft is not adequate for coverage, namely when there are important or delicate anatomic structures exposed, like tendon, blood vessels, nerves, and bone. Or when there is a fair amount of tissue missing, and more volume is needed than a skin graft can provide. These situations require thicker tissue with more reliable blood supply, namely a flap. The flap gets its name from a 16th century term, meaning something that is attached only on one side and the rest can hang or move loosely. Now, flap is a broad term, and a flap can be composed of many types of tissue, usually layered together, though sometimes isolated. And this sandwich of tissue, if you will, can be lifted up so it is only attached by a single tether point, then rotated or repositioned to a new nearby spot. Think of a flag as an example that is attached at one side but can move otherwise. Now, when we design a tissue flap, it is not meant to flap around after surgery, of course. No, the other movable side is repositioned into a new area needing tissue coverage, then stitched down. The tissues of our body are often pretty elastic and will allow this moving or twisting to get into the new spot, then heal and flatten over time. There are many varieties of flaps and many ways of categorizing them, but for our purposes here, I will highlight some of the more important concepts. Flaps can be categorized by their donor location in terms of how far away from the recipient location they are. A local flap comes from right next to the wound. It is surgically lifted up and transferred into the open area. An example of a more distant flap could be a pedicle flap, which is often longer and lifted up so it's only still attached by its blood supply, then rotated or repositioned to settle into the recipient wound but it still can't be from too far away or it won't reach. There is still another category of flap, however, called a free tissue transfer or free flap, which has its own blood vessels, but can be detached free from the body in order to travel any distance to get to the wound. Then, under a microscope, its blood vessels are reconnected to new blood vessels in the recipient wound location, thereby restoring the blood supply to the flap. It needs to have nutrition directly from blood vessels because it's too thick to survive for a while only on nearby absorbed fluid. With adequate blood supply, it will live in its new home and provide nice coverage to the recipient site, though it didn't have to rely on a tether point. Yet again, whether it's a local flap or a pedicle flap or a free flap, the key is that a flap has its own blood supply coming from either where it is still attached or from reconnected blood vessels. And if you're wondering, the donor site where the flap came from is ideally closed directly with stitches if the surrounding skin is stretchy enough. On occasion, a small skin graft may have to be added to finish the closure. Now that really sounds like a shell game, doesn't it? Well, the types of tissue that may comprise a flap could include skin and fat, muscle, and even bone, though there are several others. An example of a skin and fat flap, sometimes referred to as just a skin flap, would be what's called a forehead flap used to reconstruct a nose, say after a large cancer removal. Believe it or not, the forehead skin is stretchy enough to allow us to borrow a flap of tissue, rotate it on its attached pedicle, which keeps its blood supply, and cover the nose with it. All while still being able to pull the remaining forehead skin edges together for closure. It's pretty amazing. Like most flaps, we are kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, if you will, except Peter is usually quite forgiving. Other thicker flaps might be used to reconstruct an ear, and throughout the body, flaps could be used to cover such problems as a missing fingertip or a diabetic foot ulcer, or on a larger scale, a pressure sore on the backside. You might wonder, when is muscle included in a flap? Well, it's not typically for the purpose of recreating strength in the new area. 
though that might be the case when trying to repair facial muscles or nerves which have been damaged. Rather, most often when muscle is used, it's because it can create a nice bulk in an area that needs volume, and it has excellent blood supply as well. So, part of a calf muscle might be a great covering for an exposed leg bone, for example, and all that good blood supply helps fight infection. Other examples include muscles taken from the back or abdomen with overlying skin and fat attached to reconstruct a breast after cancer resection. Care is taken to choose muscles that are not the most essential where they came from to try to minimize possible impairment of future function. So when would you use bone? An example could be jaw reconstruction, say after removal for cancer or maybe as a late reconstruction after a traumatic injury that resulted in missing bone. In that instance, a surgeon might use a partial bone flap from the leg or even the arm. The selected donor bones are often split partially, so some can still be left behind, or they're chosen from an area where they are not truly needed for support. Okay, with all these cool graft and flap procedures that can be done, what could go wrong? Well, aside from the standard risks which come with any surgical procedure, the biggest worry in these cases is the graft or flap not surviving. There are a few possibilities why that could happen. The main three include, number one, not enough blood supply. No matter what the blood vessels might deliver to the new area, if it's not enough, that could kill the flap or even a graft. Number two, mechanical trauma to the healing area. During the early healing phase, if the newly placed tissue gets twisted or bumped too much, or pressure shifts on it inside the dressing, that could disrupt or detach the graft or flap from its delicate position. And it could affect the blood vessels too. Number three, infection. No matter how good the position of the graft or flap is, and no matter how robust the new blood supply is, an infection with resulting inflammation can lead to the demise of the new tissue. And the other main concern in a graft or flap procedure besides non-survival is the risk of problems which may develop at the donor site or where we took the tissue from in the first place. Scarring out of proportion or new functional problems or possibly creating a new problematic wound are all things we surgeons try our best to avoid. But they can still occur even in the best hands. Knowing this in advance is important so that priorities can be taken into account and best judgment can be used in treatment decision-making by the surgeon and patient team. Well, hopefully you now have a better basic understanding of the concept of skin grafts and tissue flaps and their versatility. The bottom line is that there are so many wonderful options for where they can salvage a difficult problem or malady. They are really considered the workhorses of reconstructive plastic surgery. Their only limits, the physical constraints of the body, and the creativity of the surgeon. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.